Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Gunna Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On today's show, how a quiet place made a big boom at the box office. An NHL playoff preview. And could Doctor Strange be the next leader of the MCU? All this and more as we once again delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the pop culture cosmos. We are back once again with the pop culture cosmos my name is gerald glassford from pop culture cosmos and game source thanks so much for tuning into our show each and every week we're just so happy that you're back listening to us and it wouldn't be a pop culture cosmos without my good friend he is the main man at humanica media you gotta check out all their great stuff today at humanicamedia.com it's of course josh peterson what's going on my friend Hey, 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 just checking out these new trailers that popped up here recently for a little uh, Star Wars story, but I'm sure we'll get to that later. Uh, Well, actually, we'll touch on that as the weeks to come. I know that's solo a Star Wars story. We actually posted it on our Pop Culture Cosmos Facebook page, so if you get a chance, it's in our Pop Culture Cosmos news feed right there for you. Also, as well, the latest cinematic trailer for Marvel Infinity War also came out, and that one, I tell you, is a hoot as well. Just so excited for both those movies. It was announced Solo would be debuting at Cannes this year around mid-May, I think May 15-ish, if I'm not mistaken. So it is a reality. It is going to happen. and is going to be out in theaters around Memorial Day weekend here in the United States and all over the world as well, the end of May. So definitely looking forward to that. Of course, Infinity War, everybody's excited for that coming up later this month. It's beginning to look a lot better for the film industry now after coming off one of their worst months in almost 20 years here at the North American box office with just a disappointing March. But definitely things are starting to turn around already. And it all starts off with a bang, well, a silent one, with A Quiet Place taking the U.S. box office with $50 this weekend at the box office. Josh, this horror thriller slash uh, suspense slash whatever you want to call it, scary, maybe even a little bit of a sci-fi element to it, it has garnered great reviews, almost 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, and is actually doing very well at the box office. In fact, it actually exceeded expectations, and it almost fits into that horror genre with those big opening weekends. Your thoughts on it, you've actually seen it, so I want to hear your thoughts on A Quiet Place and why it's making so much noise at the box office. It's not what I expected it to be, I guess is what I'm trying to say here. They 
you know, they market it as a, a horror movie. They market it as one of those. I, I don't know. I, the marketing materials kind of reminded me of the others with Nicole Kidman and maybe a little bit of science too. But I went into it and it's it's kind of it's more like, you know how people like The Walking Dead because it kind of chronicles the human interactions when you're trying to survive big apocalyptic event. It was it was kind of like that. So that you have this family living on this farm. These they never really say where the creatures come from. That you you see like glimpses of newspapers and stuff saying and you know, talk about how to survive and talks about they they don't say invasion. They don't really say anything. They just say the creatures, just newspaper clippings of the creatures and how to fight them and what you need. So you know I'm not going to go into too much detail because it's going to spoil it. And it's a new movie, so I don't want people not to go see it. But the movie starts out really quiet and it kind of shows how the family survives. You know, they have the system of lights that shows when something's moving or when there's an emergency and they kind of live underground. It shows how like for the kids, how to how they keep quiet and like you can't make any noises and how the creatures hunt and stuff like that and how this family survives. And it's kind of really it's more of a story about them than it is about the creatures. But I'll get to that in a minute. They use sound to build moments of suspense. So you can tell that, like, the, for example, the son, he's scared to, to leave the protection of where they live because he's absolutely terrified of these creatures. And if you see the movie, you'll, you'll understand why. And then you have the, the daughter who is deaf, and she uses one of those cochlear implants. And the dad is trying to make it so she can hear, make it work. And it kind of does, kind of doesn't. But then that has a huge part to play later on the movie. And it's just like, is their dynamic? The mom's pregnant and you have stuff like that. So they do kind of, you know how in Dunkirk they use like the to build that those moments of suspense. The first half is pretty silent. So anytime you hear any type of music play, you know that it's building up towards something. And what the movie does a they, you know, like, okay, we talked about this before the podcast, but you know how in signs they have the they do a good job of scaring you because they don't really show you what these creatures are. You see like you see things move and then about halfway through you see the legs sticking out or it may, even early on in the movie you see the silhouette of the alien on the roof of the barn. In this they show you what these creatures are almost immediately. And I, I think they did it on purpose so where it kind of takes the attention off of what they are and the mystery of them and focuses more on the family dynamic and the survival of it and allows them to use clever editing techniques with sound to build up suspense in the audience and so the movie you know the movie goes on and you have it just it it escalates of course you know there's going to be an incident where their house starts getting overrun by these things but there are some parts though that i feel were cheap where they have like for example they kind of do a good job of leading you into the next plot twist so they have like the mom drags a bag of laundry up the stairs and it pulls a loose nail out of the floorboard and you look at you're like somebody's gonna step on that later somebody's gonna step on that the same tropes that you see in a lot of other like films as far as horror or thrillers or suspense is concerned, correct? Right. And it almost like to a point, it almost feels cheap. And then there's another part where the dad goes, saves the mom and he has to go back up the stairs because they built this soundproof room underneath their barn. And as he leaves, you see a pipe leaking kind of off to the side and you're like, that's going to flood the basement. That's that's totally going to flood the basement. You know, another thing, kids fall into a tower full of seeds you're like, somebody's going to end up drowning in the seeds. So it's kind of the... You know, Instead of the teenagers running in the woods and one of them falling and tripping in the woods, you can actually see some of the stuff unfolding a mile away as far as the suspense aspect is concerned. So it takes almost a little bit out of that. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it does. And see, the thing about this is the kids are really smart. It's just like, 
weird acts of quote unquote fate in the film that lead them into these situations. Yeah, uh, you know, all in all, it's a good movie. I didn't like the ending because it it felt corny because it just. I guess spoil it now. You already sent some spoilers already. Can you be just maybe roundabout? Maybe not give full spoilers on it. No, I mean it doesn't ruin the story or anything, but it kind of ends with like the mom like has the shotgun and she like does this weird like nod at the daughter and she goes and then the credits roll. So it's kind of like takes away that whole like suspense thing and just kind of be like, well, this is kind of like how a diehard film would end. It has its things that are not great, but it's also a really, really good movie. And it, it, what, I think what I liked about it was that it was nothing what I was expecting it to be. And well, they, in what way, as far as you pointed out some of the flaws in the movie, but what are some of the things that happened that maybe you weren't expecting or that made it so enjoyable and gave it a positive review from you? I had created these expectations and the movie was nothing what I was expecting it to be. So all those expectations crumbled the moment the movie started. You have a lot of movies that like they want to prolong dramatic moments. They want to they use like cheap techniques like kids, for example. They'll use kids to kind of be like get you attached to these characters that this little kid in your life or dogs or something. They'll get you attached to these like cute little things. And you're like, it just hurts so much more when something bad happens or you think something bad's going to happen. Like it moves you to the edge of your seat. But here they don't shy away from like shocking you with things and just they prove that in like the first 3 minutes of the film that's cool about it but you know it has some some flaws in the in the logic of it all but you know that's neither here nor there but i enjoyed it I, you know despite some of the things that i i wouldn't have done like i still thought that it was overall it was a gr- it was a good film i'll probably send a review up here soon but you know if you're on the fence about it i would recommend going to see it because it's not one of those movies that I can fully put into words. It's something that it's not really an intellectual ride. It's more of an emotional one. It's presenting you something different in the fact that obviously, like you said, the first part of the movie is dedicated to just silence or being very quiet as far as the whole ambiance and devoting so much to what the title speaks as far as it's concerned for their own safety. Yeah, it's less of a horror movie not it's not a horror movie in the aspect that they marketed as which they were clever with their marketing it's more of a emotional you you become attached to the characters and not the monsters i guess is is what i'm trying to say here there's top name actors in emily blunt and john krasinski being the stars of it so there there actually is some heavy duty star power guiding this story along so it's good to hear that there are positive things to come out of like I said, it's got almost 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's done very well at the U.S. box office, and I expect it to be something that people will be interested in seeing because of its novel concept. And obviously, it, like you said, you were talking about with the audio editing, something to be thought about when it comes to audio editing for Oscars this time next year as far as maybe possibly being considered or even coming out with one as far as if the audio editing is as good as you say as well. So definitely something to think about there. It is a quiet place. Once again, does very well here in the United States, topping out with 50 million plus. It looks like it's going to have the second biggest weekend of the year at the U S box office. Ready player one, which finished second at the U S box office this weekend was first last weekend. It garnered 53 over a four day span because uh, it opened up a day earlier than a normal movie would on Friday. It opened up a day earlier, but that is still doing well because this week it will go over $400 million worldwide. So 
Good news for fans of Ready Player One. Actually, here in a minute, Rob McCallum in the Cosmic Crossfire and I will go back and forth on our thoughts about Ready Player One, the movie itself, and also what it represents. And if it should have been even considered as a TV show or something different, we talk about that coming up here in a few minutes. But once again, Ready Player One looking to go over $400 million worldwide. The box office seems to be getting a little bit better after a disastrous month of March. Well, one of the worst months in over 20 years at the U.S. box office as far as generating revenue. So definitely that's a good sign as far as the box office is concerned. But I ask you one last question. A Quiet Place, like I said, did very well for a movie considered maybe a horror, suspense, thriller type deal. Will it follow suit of other horror movies in its second weekend and going forward with a steep drop as many other horror movies do in its second, third week and beyond? I don't think so. I don't think it'll have a drop, but I don't think it's going to be a dramatic one because this is one of those like artsy movies and artsy movies seem to do well in the fact that instead of having this steep decline, it's kind of a just a little like downhill a gradual type letter. Yeah, exactly. So I don't think it's going to going to uh, maybe in the third or fourth week it's out. It might drop significantly. But as far as like, you know, for the next couple of weeks, I think it's going to do pretty well. It's a suspense thriller and they do a great job of kind of latching on to your emotions in the film. In the same way The Last of Us did on PlayStation 4. That's what I was thinking when I was watching it. They do do a good job of getting you emotionally invested in the characters. And it's surprising that they do it with them using so little word, so few words too. Once again, that's Josh's thoughts on A Quiet Place. You can check out his written review coming up in the near future on our Pop Culture Cosmos websites, popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. Definitely looking forward to seeing how well it performs over the long haul. And I agree with Josh. I don't think it's going to get a steep drop like normal horror movies do. I think it's going to, because of the good word of mouth, I think it's going to see a good long run here at U.S. domestically. And hopefully it will translate as well to a nice worldwide take because at this present time, the box office sorely needs it going into larger movies, including Infinity War coming up later this month. What are your thoughts on A Quiet Place? Was it a suspense thriller that you really enjoyed? Were you scared? Did you like the novel concept of being quiet for a good portion of the movie and building the suspense based off of being quiet and getting that suspense once any type of sound is heard? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanity Media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. We've got a great episode coming up for you today. We've got Rob McCallum coming up right after the break in the Cosmic Crossfire. Plus, also as well, Josh and I are going to break down the upcoming NHL playoffs. Plus, also as well, thoughts again on the TV ratings scene from our good friend Hunter Vaught at the TV Ratings Guide. He's going to break down the TV rating scene and some final thoughts as we head more into the month of April on some stuff that has piqued his interest in the TV rating scene. All this is going on. It's going to be another great program right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Get ready for Kitty Origins Evolutions, the latest documentary from Rob McCallum. Generously peppered with archival footage shot by the band, this film gives you an honest and brutal look at what it takes to survive in the music industry. 
Order the DVD, Blu-ray, and live CD triple pack that features recordings from throughout their 20-year illustrious history from RobMcCallumFilms.com. RobMcCallumFilms.com, your place for awesome stories about awesome people and films worth watching. And it is time once again for the Cosmic Crossfire. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We thank you so much for listening to the show today. It would definitely not be a Cosmic Crossfire without my good friend. He is the man, the myth, the legend behind RobMcCallumFilms.com. You got to check out all the great things going at Rob McCallum Films, including the smash hit that sold out on Amazon. It's the Amazing Kitty documentary, and here he is now, my good friend, the director, Rob McCallum. What's going on, man? Oh, just living the dream and uh, gearing up for a really busy month. Uh, April 2018, I will be run off my feet. Uh, It is nice that we're out of March, and like as you said, the Kitty doc has been released to uh, much uh, fanfare for sure and a lot of critical acclaim as, as the press starts rolling in and we're really excited to have that out there and it's it's you know by far one of my favorite projects that i've done for a variety of reasons uh so anybody that has you know amazon go go order it now it it may be out of stock because they did sell out on their opening day and it shot up to number one on the metal charts because it's included uh, a live cds part of that set so check out kitty origins evolutions hear the uh the tale of the heavy metal band uh that started with a group of teenagers who wondered wouldn't it be great if we were rock stars and they got to live the dream for better or worse and uh, 20 years later they're here to tell their story i will say this about the kitty documentary i have seen it and as a documentary covering the band itself and what they've gone through and all their their music and and over the years or whatnot it doesn't get any better than what Rob McCallum has done for, for them out there. So if you get a chance, check it out. Kitty, Origins, and Evolutions. But like you said, April is a new month, and you've got a lot going on starting this month as well. Well, I should say you and I did talk briefly off camera. You, in your big concern with the Kitty Doc was you wanted to know more. You wanted to see and hear more. And there is a three-hour version out there of the documentary it was reserved just for Indiegogo backers, but you never know. If you make enough noise and the sales do well enough, they may try to get that three-hour version from us and release it en masse. So check it out. Check out the 90-minute version. If you want to know more, then you know, make some noise online. There's so much to learn, and there's so much that you want to know when it comes to Kitty and their success. So much got put into the 90-minute that you just want to know more. So Definitely check it out today, Kitty Origins and Evolutions. But again, you've got a lot of stuff going on in April, my friend, including announcement that you made coming up for later this month. Oh, did did there was there a little announcement? Did we make an announcement today on Facebook? Uh, you might have, from what I saw, unless you and Jay just like to stand together and just smile right in front of the camera. Well, I will say that we had a pretty good laugh on April Fool's. We... Uh... <laughs> We had a pretty good laugh with the post we made on on Sunday, April 1st, that said, Super Nintendo Entertainment System, who's ready for Super Nintendo Quest? Game on. That was a joke. People Um, freaked out. People definitely freaked out, but it was fun. And that that was all strategy, of course, because that led to today's post. And today's post basically said, after five years, we're ready to go on another quest. And on April 24th, join us on Kickstarter to see what that quest might pertain to. 
what is this new quest that Jane Rob are going on? Kickstarter, April 24th. It'll be great. Looking forward to it as well. So my friend, there is a lot going on in the realm of pop culture. So pray tell Rob, what's on your mind when it comes to pop culture? Well, I definitely feel like I'm probably off the uh, the old beaten path of some of the normal topics that are out there. Ready Player One. I think it's dividing some people on some level and everybody's a little bit surprised by it. This is still a film that I did not see a lot of press for, which is really shocking given the success of the book and the fact that Steven Spielberg is, you know, the director behind it. The only press that I really saw was like really negative given some of the online posters that uh, had been shared out there and people were criticizing like we talked about before. And I just kind of did a bit of a survey over Easter weekend as I ran into some friends and family just to ask them what they thought of it, whether they'd seen it or not. And overwhelmingly, the response was, this looks like a CG fest with a lot of nostalgic references. And it was like an off-putting thing for them. And I thought, well, it's really interesting that we're still in an era where there's this story that definitely has this computer-generated imagery world and it's off-putting. I don't know if that's because it's animation, if it's the look and the style of the animation, if if animation as a whole is relegated to kids so it's not an adult thing or adults can't enjoy that very specific look. And would it have been more successful if it was like The Matrix and everything was like live action, but we knew it was in a different kind of computer world? And then there's the pop culture side of things. Obviously, for those that have read the book, like myself and Gerald, I can't remember. Have you checked out the book? I read it last year, yes. And it is decidedly different than the actual film results. I will say this. I actually did enjoy the CG for the first and third key experiences were some of the most brilliant CGI I've ever seen in my life. I just truly cannot say enough good things about it. The second key, however, I, I did have issues. I mean, my full review is up on the popculturecosmos.wordpress.com site. I did give it a positive review overall. I thought there was plenty of issues with it, but when it is really keyed in in the Oasis, it is absolutely brilliant as far as the, again, the first and third experiences as far as getting those keys are concerned and what they had to do with it and all the pop culture icons that are part of it just truly just was amazing to me and almost brought a tear to my eye because these are all things that as someone who is approaching 50 years old, it is something that I have experienced in some form or fashion in every aspect. And it, to me, it was just amazing to see it all on film come to life in, in that type of realm. Something I would have never imagined before, let's say even 10, 15 years ago, I would have never be, been able to imagine or fathom that. So to me, those parts were good. Overall, it was a positive experience for me as far as Ready Player One. And it is doing pretty good. It exceeded box office expectations. So it actually may end up seeing a profit for Warner Brothers. Yeah, and full disclosure, I haven't seen it yet. So I love that you have a review up there that I can check out the second I do get to sit down. I'm going to be super skeptical because I know people have said it is very different from the book. And which is okay because, you know, I like a lot of books and films and have their own different versions. And I really like Jurassic Park, as you know, as a movie. And I really love the book uh, like on its own thing. And I can appreciate them for, for their own pros and cons. But when it comes to the references, my concern, and I, I get where people are coming from, but they don't have, if they haven't read the book, then they don't understand the role the references play into this giant quest to figure out what's going on and who's involved and why these things are there. And they're not just, hey, remember when, or isn't it cool to have this reference? It's, it's ingrained in the story and in the characters. 
much like who we are now as a society, which I think is, is really brilliant. It's actually really pertinent to the story. And the book does a good job of explaining what it is if you're not familiar with it, but not in a way that is you know, overbearing or holding your hand. So it'll be interesting to see how the film does that. Probably just like really whittles it down. My fear is when you dilute something like that, it really loses the luster of it. It does feel a little bit more of a cheap reference because you don't have the richness of it. So when we see these trailers where we have like Master Chief and, you know, the Iron Giant and the DeLorean and all these other references out there, I can't blame people for for saying, yeah, look at these call outs, all these other films. Because I don't think the film can really go in depth on this stuff. And the more and more I thought about it and the more and more I thought about the book, it made me really feel like this should not have been a feature film. This really should have been a series. And with Ready Player Two having being announced, what a perfect way to kind of extend that series. Now, this is not a series that has to go on forever. Some, you know, it can just be 10 episodes straight, like a, like a limited run. And if Ready Player Two does well as a book, then maybe that's season two. But, you know, take the time to do this well. And you certainly have the audience for it in the realm of television. And I think you could probably even make a little bit more money if you were to do it that way, rather than risk it all as a theatrical run at the box office and possible failure. Now, like you said, it's doing well at the box office. I think this will be one of those Spielberg films that has a very specific audience. It's it's kind of like a cult favorite. It's not going to get wide claim, probably hugs from everybody out there. I can't imagine anybody else trying to helm something this big with this many layers of detail than Spielberg himself. Really? I mean, can you? No, no. But then again, only his clout could get all those pop culture references as far as getting the rights to actually show it on screen. I don't think many other individuals out there can get or amass as many pop culture references as he could. I mean, he got his hands literally on almost everything that they were asking for. Just to me, it just seems like people that are concerned as far as the differences. And you know what? There are vast differences between the book and the film. And if you've not read the book yet, I suggest seeing the film first and taking it in for what it is before you delve into the book. It's one of the things I recommend. But yes, there are vast differences. But the book and the film have pluses and minuses for being so different. There's some things the book did better. There's some things the film did better. Now, overall, if you're going to put a gun to my head, I'd probably say the book is a tiny bit better than the actual film. But again, they both have their strong points and weak points as well. So the weak points for me, and I can tell from the trailer is the third act, the big kind of now it's time for the ultimate battle kind of push is the thing that I felt really let down by the book. Cause for the first three quarters of that book, this was going in some interesting territory that I really wish didn't have to be resolved in this apocalyptic. Everyone rushed to arms unite and join the fight and clearly that's what happens in the trailer because you can see like the wave of avatars coming over over the hill to me i love seeing that and i understand it's a cool visual but like how many films and stories do we have to see that and i i get that part of it i and i understand that that's probably maybe just a a narrative cop-out for lack of a better term so i can i can totally understand where you get that but Ready Player One, to me, I think was, like I said, a pretty solid film. And I do hope that there is going to be a Ready Player Two that eventually gets on screen. Because it was just different to see something like that on film in and of itself. Because, you know, we see all the formulaic movies and whatnot. We see all the same things over and over. Superhero this, superhero that, destruction this, sci-fi that. 
adventure this, love story that, you know. And obviously, it does have those tropes in the movie itself, but it was just nice to see something a little bit away from the norm as far as what it presented on screen and how it presented it. So to me, like I said, in that novelty in and of itself, it may not be so great the second time around, but hey, for me, it was still a solid movie experience. And it was kind of a nice rush to see that initial Wade Watts putting on the visor and getting that experience, even on a standard deaf screen. So that, like I said, for me overall, it it was a pleasant experience. Do you think it could have been successful if they would have went like something the road of like the Matrix and done like a live action Oasis instead of CG everywhere? I don't think so, because that's one of the or like uh, some sort of hybrid. And for yeah. everybody listening, the Oasis is the, the game world that everybody yeah. plugs into where most of the story takes place. Yeah, and most of the story does take place. And in the movie, it's probably better served for doing so. When it gets outside of it, that's when you have some questions possibly around there as far as an opinions on, on how it's uh, being developed and whatnot. But for me, as far as maybe a TV standpoint, you have more time to flesh out that backstory. You have more time to flesh out that world outside of the Oasis, that dystopian world in 2045 in Columbus and all around the world. And I, I know there were some some people, like I said, that have severe differences with the book and the film being so vastly different from one another. So I, I understand that could be the start of it, this, the the realm outside of the Oasis and how maybe the, the thoughts on it were, were vastly changed. So to me, I think the film was better served the more it was in the Oasis, for the most part anyway. All right. Well, that'll do it for the Cosmic Crossfire. If you have a question for Rob about the show itself, maybe about a topic or about his great projects, including the Kitty documentary, Origins and Evolutions, Missing Mom, Nintendo Quest, or the upcoming Kickstarter project on April 24th, just give him a shout out. What could it be? What could it what be? What could it be? What could it be? April 24th, tune in and find out. That's right. Or you can of course, listen-, listen here. And you'll hear more tidbits as we go. This is the exclusive source of information for said secret project. And there'll be lots of stuff in the works. But if you have questions, send it to us here at popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Or you can shoot any of us a DM right here at Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanic Media, Game Source, or Rob McCallum Films on Facebook or Twitter. But Rob is a little different on Twitter. It's at Rob McZob. Rob, it's been great having you on the show part of the cosmic crossfire and of course a part of the pop culture cosmos for the latest reviews and opinions on everything pop culture head on over to our brand new site www.popculturecosmos.wordpress.com and we're back again it's the pop culture cosmos this is gerald glassford and we truly thank you for sticking around and enjoying the show Just want to make sure and let you know our shows are being streamed seven days a week on online radio and that we deliver two brand new shows covering the latest in pop culture every Monday and Friday to Apple Podcasts or our over 30 different podcast networks. Just subscribe to any one of them on the Pop Culture Cosmos channel to get extra content or just check out the Pop Culture Cosmos Facebook page for our entire schedule and a list of those podcasts and those radio networks, including our latest network, 
for our friends in the UK, Sword Radio UK. That's right. We're moving to Sword Radio in the UK. So everybody out there that listens to us in the UK area, get a chance to check us out. Tuesday nights, 8 p.m. UK time, you'll be able to hear some great stuff right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos on our new station in the UK, Sword Radio. Josh, I know you've got a great thing going on with Humanica Media, so please share with us what's going on with your great experience known as Humanica Media. Yes, we have a brand new episode of Topic Ocalypse dropping tonight. We interviewed the developer of an indie game. You'll be able to listen to that on Tuesday night, as well as a new episode of that show on Thursday. And you can hear another interview that we did from last week with the creators of Poncho. So definitely check that out. And we're also on the Podcast Radio Network every Tuesday night at 6.30. 6.30? Did I do it right this time? You got the thumbs up? Thumbs down. Thumbs down. Oh. The regular scheduled time, unless John Sweeney at the Podcast Radio Network tells us differently, is 7 p.m. You had it last week, man. You had it last week. The Attack of the Humanicans, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network. So right now, the NHL playoffs is fast approaching. And to break it down real quickly, Josh... We're going to start off in the Eastern Conference with the different teams that are out there. The Tampa Bay Lightning is going to face off against the New Jersey Devils. The Boston Bruins are going to face off against Toronto Maple Leafs. The Washington Capitals are going to face off against the Columbus Blue Jackets. The Pittsburgh Penguins are going to face off against the Philadelphia Flyers in a Pennsylvania bloodbath, which I'm anticipating. Your thoughts on the Eastern Conference playoffs. Who do you think is going to be the favorite coming out of the Eastern Conference this year in the NHL playoffs? In the East, I think that Tampa Bay is the favorite. So honestly, when whenever I tell someone, a new hockey fan, when they're saying, hey, I, I want to start watching hockey, I tell them to watch the Tampa Bay Lightning because they are by far, even you know after the trading Ben Bishop, they're a fun team to watch because they're hungry. Their goaltending is really good. Like they lost Bishop, but they gained Budai, who is uh, he was goaltending for the Kings, and they have Vasilevsky is actually a really, really great goalie, and he was really underused until recently. But the Devils, on the other hand, they're one of those teams that they won the cup in 2011, but they kind of faded into obscurity. And it's weird because you look at a lot of these teams, with the exception of the Bruins and the Penguins and the Capitals, these other teams here, they're they're teams that didn't really do well and I guess over the past five seasons but here they're they're kind of trying to make a name for themselves so it's such a a random assortment of teams even you know even on the west like there are so many teams that you wouldn't expect to make the playoffs that it's kind of like at this point it's anybody's game well I'm going to put it this way I think the Tampa Bay Lightning are a great team obviously when you have one of the best records out there you're definitely going to have a lot of people going uh, well, actually, you know, let's put it this way. They had more wins than anybody else. So from a victory standpoint, and as far from a full body team standpoint, they obviously appear to be a very, very strong team. But I say if it was me, because, you know, the NHL playoffs, even more so than the Major League Baseball, NBA or NFL playoffs, the NHL playoffs seem to have the more wild finishes than any other pro sports league out there. Obviously, as a Kings fan, you would know that because it wasn't too long ago when the Kings won from the absolute last spot in the playoffs. And 
they managed to go ahead as far as being a wild card all the way up to actual eventual Stanley Cup champions. So anything could happen. I think it's going to be an issue where there's a lot of good teams at the top. I think what a team that you do have to look out for, in my opinion, is the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think they are a very strong team. They're a team that maybe is uh, uh, people are overlooking because Boston and Tampa Bay seem to be ahead of everybody else as far as the regular season concerned. But from what I've seen in the roster and what I've seen in their play, I think Toronto Maple Leafs could provide a surprise. Will it be all the way as far as going to the actual Stanley Cup playoffs and being the team out of the Eastern Conference? I think right now it's going to be the Toronto Maple Leafs coming out of the East because I think overall they're a team that, that people are overlooking. And I think it's those type of teams that seem to score well during the playoff run. While you're thinking of an actual true winner out of the East or someone that you got to lay money on as a favorite, I will go ahead with the West. In the West, we're going to start off with the Nashville Predators versus the Colorado Avalanche, who won their spot actually in their last game of the season. Winnipeg versus Minnesota. The Vegas Golden Knights, the Cinderella story, and the best ever expansion team from any of the major sports. They're going against the LA Kings. Anaheim Ducks are also in it. They had a nice closing schedule, winning eight of their last 10. They are going up against the San Jose Sharks. I think Cinderella's glass slipper will break for the Golden Knights in the second round. I've talked to you about this before as far as I thought the Golden Knights are a great story, but I'm not sure if they were going to be holding up in the playoffs. I think they will squeak by the Kings. I think the Kings will give them a lot to deal with as far as be from an experience standpoint. My pick, I think I'm going to go with the Winnipeg Jets because they are the hottest team going into the NHL. And I think they're going to ride that momentum as far as that, even above the Nashville Predators, who I would make a solid favorite otherwise. So I think right now the Winnipeg Jets are my call to win out of the West. Your thoughts on the Western Conference and who will come out of that playoff scenario? I don't think the Knights are going to beat the Kings. I disagree with you on that. The Kings, they've been to the playoffs. They've been to the Stanley Cup. They've been there recently. They have the same players ever since Jeff Carter came back. They've just become a a completely different team. I don't think that the Knights are going to get past them. I think the Knights will give them a run for their money. But again, playoff hockey is completely different from regular season hockey. And the Knights have never been to a playoff game. So I don't know. I'm curious. I'm interested. I would like to see that. But I don't think they're going to get past the Kings. People have playoff fever here in Las Vegas, and I can totally understand why from an experience standpoint. Obviously, the Kings have a definite advantage, but who in the West overall do you think will come out on top? That's a good question. I think it's going to be San Jose because San Jose, much like the Lightning, have been getting closer and closer every season. But here's the thing. Martin Jones has, as a goaltender, has just been getting increasingly better every season he's played. The Sharks have a very strong lineup and these, you know, they've been there. They faced off against the Ducks. They know what to do. They know what not to do. They've they've had time to kind of focus in on a strategy. And I, I think that they're going to go all the way. But also, you know, the Predators want it pretty bad, too. But I, I'm predicting this is my prediction. It's going to be the Sharks versus the Predators for that spot into the Stanley Cup. Who will come out of that? The Sharks. I got to say the Sharks because the two teams that have the most momentum when it comes to the the postseason right now is Nashville and San Jose. And they're the teams that want it the most. The Ducks, 
They're a good comeback team. The Kings, they're good in the playoffs. The Vegas Knights, unpredictable. Minnesota Wild, they're like the the Capitals. They they don't really do much. They get into the playoffs and they kind of fizzle out. Winnipeg's another team. They get into the playoffs. They're impressive for the first round, maybe. And then they just kind of don't do anything with that. So I'm predicting Nashville versus San Jose. And I'm, I'm predicting San Jose will make it all the way. And then uh, as far as the East goes, I think that it's going to be the Penguins. Okay. If you've got the San Jose Sharks versus the Pittsburgh Penguins, I've got, as far as my picks are concerned, the Toronto Maple Leafs going up against the Winnipeg Jets. When it all comes down to it, I think in the end, it's going to be the Winnipeg Jets are going to be the team to beat overall. And I think they're going to take the Stanley Cup. I I see the roster even more stacked. I think they're the hottest team going in as far as that's concerned. And they're going to have all the momentum on their side. And I think they're going to take it all the way to a Stanley Cup. Your thoughts on who will come out in your matchup as far as the Pittsburgh Penguins versus the San Jose Sharks? Jesus, like asking me what my favorite movie is. That's why it's a prediction show. I'm going to say San Jose because, well, Pittsburgh's got some pretty solid offense. San Jose really locks it up around the net. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that San Jose is going to take it this season. And I hope they do because as much as I hate Sharks fans, I don't hate them nearly as much as Duck fans. <laughs> Fair enough. Even though you live right down the street from where the Anaheim Ducks play. I don't think that argument is logical. Everyone always throws that at me. They're like, you need to vote for the team closest to you. How many Red Wings fans live in Orange County? You go to a Ducks game when they're playing the Red Wings, about 75% of the audience is wearing red. Once again, that's our picks as far as the NHL playoffs. Josh is going ahead with the San Jose Sharks, pulling it out on his end over the Pittsburgh Penguins. I'm going ahead with the Winnipeg Jets over the Toronto Maple Leafs as far as our picks for the NHL playoffs. Have you got different thoughts on who's going to go all the way and taste that delicious champagne out of the Stanley Cup? Share it with us, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com, or you can send us a message through Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanica Media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. When we come back, we've got some quick thoughts from our good friend Hunter Vaught at the TV Ratings Guide. And after that, Josh and I will be back to close out the show talking about Doctor Strange and what is his future going to be like in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. We are the Metal Geeks Podcast, and on this show, we have heavy metal, comic books, video games, movies, theme parks, and more. Wait, wait, wait. Comics? Yep. And movies? Exactly. Video games? Yeah. Metal? Of course. How does theme parks fit in this? It just does. All of us Metal Geeks can be found at MetalGeeks.net. At Metal Geeks for Twitter. Metal Geeks on Instagram. And Metal Geeks on the Facey Space. You can also find us on iTunes. Subscribe today. Metal Geeks. It is the Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly want to thank you for sticking around and checking out the show. We've got a lot of great things to talk about when it comes to the TV world. And who better to talk about it than our good friends at the TV Ratings Guide? you got to check out the TVRatingsGuide.com for all the great things going on in TV Ratings Land with reviews, stories, original scripts, and updates and news on the TV ratings world. It's our good friend Hunter Vaught. How are you today, my friend? Oh, I'm good. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> oh, it's great to have you here indeed. 
this is us. Okay, Jack, we finally found out what happened with him. And, you know, if it's actually still heroes, he would have been okay. But okay, we won't go there. But (laughs) he's actually kicked the bucket on the show. And we find out how he died and everything. Are the ratings still there? Or now that people know how Jack died, have they gone in in unison as far as leaving the actual show and and not watching it anymore? Well, the... Ratings have held up in the few episodes since then. There hasn't been much of a test, really, because it hasn't been very many episodes. But they've seemed to hold, hold up well so far. And as someone who watches the show, I can see why. It's because the show had this big mystery of how did Jack die, but it wasn't focused on that. It like had so much other focus, and that wasn't even a question that was introduced until a few episodes in. Like There was no confirmation that by the present day where they were showing that Jack was dead. So that big mystery and that big question wasn't something that dominated the show. It was just something that it was something that kept viewers very interested, but ultimately it's a show about family and a show about these characters. And the show seems to have done a good job of getting people interested in those characters, not just the mysteries and the stories. So that's why I believe that it's held up well in its few episodes since then and hasn't lost viewers' interest. And for the record, I still use my Crock-Pot, but we won't go there. <laughs> oh, I didn't even actually talk to you about Timeless when it's returned to NBC. What is going on with Timeless now that's on the, what I've always called back when Elementary got put there, the Sunday 10 p.m. death slot. But I've heard there's actually hope for the show after all. Yeah, I was really pessimistic about its chances going into season two because the renewal for season one if i don't know who if all of you were following it or not but it was originally canceled but then a day or two later the decision was reversed and likely because sony the who produces timeless offered nbc a good enough deal for the show that they decided to give it a second chance and i've thought that okay it's giving a second chance but that's not it's not going to do what they expect it they or they hope it will do but in its premiere it actually did pretty well and it has kind of declined since then so it's become more of a bubble show but it's doing better than i thought it would and it does have a good chance of coming back for season three i believe i just think it still has to get out of that sunday 10 p.m time slot i just don't think it's a 10 p.m show i think that's the first problem it's always been put on 10 p.m and i just don't think it's a 10 p.m type of show it seems like a uh, I've actually been watching the show myself, and I, I think it's a show where you could put it on on an 8 p.m. and or a 9 p.m. slot because of its content and the way it the way it handles uh, its various time frames. And I think it would be fine, but I think in the, it's it's never been best served by being in that 10 p.m. time slot, which we are now associating with when you also talk about the broadcast cable stations about shows that go a little bit more risky with a lot of certain things. Yeah. I mean, just comparing Timeless to the show that aired in that same time slot on the same network a year ago, Shades of Blue is a much darker show, much dark content, like the the type of things that the show covers. It definitely belongs at 10 p.m. While Timeless, it doesn't really need to be at 10 p.m. In fact, it would probably, I would say that it's the type of show that since its ratings aren't great, you want, don't want to put in a priority time slot but it could work on Fridays at 8 or 9, or during the summer at 9 o'clock. 
I agree with you a hundred percent. I just don't think, it, you know, if it ultimately does get canceled permanently, uh, and it's ever going to happen, I think that's one of be one of the things that's said about it. it's just it was just never meant to be for that time slot that it's in currently. But like you said, it's all about how they negotiate the deal and how NBC always perceives it to be as something that they just want to use as filler out in the schedule or something that actually they wanted to go ahead and promote. And you can tell, you can tell which shows that they love and which shows that they are just using as filler on their schedule. But yeah, that's for <laughs> another story as well. One last thing before we head on out. Is there anything spring premieres that, that's coming up for CBS that you wanted to point out as well? Well, CBS... Doesn't have many spring premieres, at least, well, they had two new shows, new comedy, Living Biblically, Biblically, it's hard to say again, um, and premiered to the end of February, so it's still like, it wasn't really spring when it premiered, but it's mostly airing in the spring, and that one isn't, it's not doing so well, but they also have Instinct, new uh, drama, which airs in Sunday nights, at 8 o'clock, in between uh, 60 Minutes and NCIS Los Angeles. Well, it's hard to say at this point because it got such big lead-ins in its first couple weeks, especially its second week with CBS airing big March Madness basketball games before its primetime lineup. So that gave the lineup a big boost. That makes it hard to gauge how well Instinct's actually doing. So the first week we'll really be able to judge it, I believe, is when it airs on April 15th, which is its fifth week, because then there's no holiday that'll drag it down or no big lead in that's going to boost it. We're going to say it, see its true strength. So we'll definitely have a gauge on instinct to see if uh, that's one of the two shows that will survive the, the cut line from CBS as far as its uh, spring premieres are concerned. Any other shows that you want people to know about that are coming out the spring or any other shows period that, that you want to talk about as far as that's on streaming, uh, cable network, whatever you want to talk about, the floor is yours, my friend. Oh, that's a lot. <laughs> what are the shows that, that you think people need to know about? A lot of my favorites just ended recently. Or, but, oh, there's one I can mention. Netflix has a comedy, One Day at a Time. It's a remake of the, the old show, One Day at a Time. It's very good. It just got renewed for its third season after, like, a there was a big push to get it renewed because there was no news had come out about it yet. And with Netflix, we can't really gauge how well the show's doing usually unless... It's obvious, like, which was like Stranger Things. Obviously, that's a hit for them. But people advocated for its renewal, and it just got it recently. I think it was this week. might have been the week before. That's great news for all of us fans, and I definitely recommend the show. It's a great family comedy that tackles a lot of issues and does it very well, I believe. Like you said, it did get go ahead for another season, I believe, a week ago. And, and definitely looking forward to that for all you Netflix viewers out there. Well, uh, once again, uh, you know, it's just so great to have you on. It is Hunter Vaught. You can contact him on Twitter at Hunter V-O-G-T. That's at Hunter V-O-G-T. If you have any questions for him on the TV rating scene or also as well through TV Ratings Guide and TVRatingsGuide.com, there are the place to go as far as reviews, Renew Cancel Index, articles, features, original programming that they have exclusive to TVRG that, well, actually it's not so exclusive because they actually send it out to us and we're so blessed <laughs> to actually also present it as well at the Pop Culture Cosmos with their original shows that they're doing. So definitely check that out as well. 
on their platform. It is tvratingsguide.com because TVRG is the place to go for everything TV ratings. Hunter, it's been so great having you on. And again, you are welcome back. I know, like you said, you have the upfronts in May coming up. So definitely looking forward to hearing from both you, Jess, Jonathan, and anyone else at the TVRG as well. Yeah, it's going to be a hectic time. Looking forward to it. I am as well. And unfortunately, there will be no Nashville around the topic. <laughs> but again, it's great having you on, Hunter, and, and great having you a part of the pop culture cosmos. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back to close out the show. This is, again, the Pop Culture Cosmos. want to thank you so much for sticking around and enjoying the entire program also want to thank Rob McCallum from Rob McCallum Films. Also as well, want to thank Hunter Vaught from the TV Ratings Guide. Josh, before we head on out, we've got to talk a little bit more about our breakdown in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This episode, we're talking about Doctor Strange, as again, we break down the movies leading up to Infinity War. Doctor Strange was kind of like a trippy movie because of all that was going on, and also it was one of the last introduction movies that we had. Your thoughts on Doctor Strange as a movie, and then I want to ask you a question as far as his involvement going forward. Doctor Strange was a visually impressive movie. In filmmaking, there's a a group of special effects. I don't know if they're on the special effects team or, or what, but they're called rotoscopers. And what they do is they take the special effects and they go frame by frame and put them into the movie. I see all the special effects, the the kaleidoscope stuff going on in Doctor Strange. And I really hope that they got well paid for that because that is meticulous work. I did it and not even on something that elaborate. I did on like a three minute movie and that literally took me 12 hours to do. So I appreciate where they're coming from with that. And that movie probably had a good deal of it. But Okay, as for Doctor Strange's place in the MCU, yeah, he's a very important character. If you look, if you read the comic books, he is in the upper circle with Tony Stark. You know, you have the Avengers Illuminati, which is made up of Tony Stark, Doctor Strange, uh, Reed Richards, and so they have these tentpole characters. Tony Stark is obviously one of them, but since he is rumored to be leaving after Avengers Four. You know, they're going to have to turn to Doctor Strange or Reed Richards, and they don't have access to Reed Richards fully yet because I know those contracts haven't been signed. So Doctor Strange is obviously the next choice. But what Doctor Strange also does, which is good, it opens them up to a whole new, much like Reed Richards opens them up to the end zone and all those other dimensions. Doctor Strange has access to different planes of existence. So Anytime in the comic books, anytime there's there's a dispute or there's something going on, House of M is a good example. Scarlet Witch is losing control of her powers and she's doing all this stuff and killing all these people. And Doctor Strange shows up and he's the one that can see through it. So he is the foundation of all of that side of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Because now that we have Scarlet Witch, you have access to those stories that 
potentials of her losing her power. They're, they're going to have to have something monumental happen in order to pull some people into this next phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But the movie was really good. It was well written. You kind of got his background story, you know, without having to go through all this back materials and stuff. His the whole story with his hands, the eye of Agmato and uh, him becoming Doctor Strange and kind of honing in on that. He kind of became Doctor Strange really quickly. But I guess, you know, they needed that to happen for the movies to progress into the next phase. But, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm, I'm a pretty big fan. I thought overall it was a solid movie. Again, visually, it was outstanding to watch. And I think that is its greatest attribute that will last for a long time to come. Going forward, however, I want to talk about Doctor Strange as being one of the main entities in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and being someone that they can rely on for the foreseeable future as a Tony Stark character that they can lean on. For the next phase of the MCU, I think you're going to be leaning on Doctor Strange and Captain Marvel as your Captain America, Iron Man, one-two punch type deal as superheroes that the Marvel Cinematic Universe will lean on as far as being those two entities that Marvel's going to push out to the forefront as far as being the two main characters to rely on. Do you feel differently? Oh, I, I agree. This first section of the MCU showed the earthly heroes they did a good job of showing like earth and the cosmic side and all the the things that affect that sector i guess of the galaxy now going forward they're obviously gonna have to up the ante a little bit and so bringing captain marvel in is a good way to show that like hey we're still and you know they have guardians of the galaxy volume three we're still paying attention to this cosmic side that we opened up but also we have this new realm that we're exploring, which is the the astral realm of the MCU, where there's a lot of good stories to be told there. So we're going to I think that Doctor Strange, Scarlet Witch, their abilities are going to open up to bigger, badder possibilities as far as an overarching villain goes. And they would be crazy not to use that. But then again, I'm hearing rumors of, you know, the secret invasion, scroll Cree or whatever. You know, and also Ant-Man was the quantum realm. So there's a lot of places that they could go. They have several options at this point but no i think you're right dr strange is going to be a tentpole figure in this era of the mcu and which is going to be cool because he's kind of someone who is living through all of the phases but we're getting a a character that is going to be with us through this journey for a long time and that's really cool to see it definitely is and I think he so far, Benedict Cumberbatch has done a great job with Doctor Strange. I think he makes a very convincing case as Doctor Strange. And I look forward to seeing him not only in a sequel to Doctor Strange, the original movie, which hopefully will be even better than this other one, which I thought was solid. But again, there are better movies in the MCU. But I'm hoping as a lead character, he will be that tentpole as good as Iron Man and Captain America have been for the previous phase. I foresee him and Captain Marvel being those two entities to look out for for the foreseeable future in the next phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. What are your thoughts on Doctor Strange? Did you enjoy the movie? Did you think it was a psychedelic trip like we did? Also, do you think Doctor Strange will be one of the key members of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as it continues into the next phase after Avengers 4. Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com, also as well, popculturecosmos, humanica media, and game source on Facebook and Twitter as well. So Josh, any last thoughts on the way out? 
go see a quiet place and i am going to be reviewing some games here soon so stay tuned for that i got like four that are going to be popping up here over the next two weeks we're breaking down the list of top video games very soon we're actually formulating and tabulating all the votes now as we speak can't wait to be able to show everyone out there the great stuff going on with pop culture cosmos and we definitely thank you for being so much a part of it so for josh peterson this is gerald glassford it's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the pop culture cosmos we thank you for listening and here's hoping you have yourself a great day Listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the T Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos as a special treat. We're adding a bonus episode, which starts right now. So sit back and relax as you enjoy more awesome goodness from the Pop Culture Cosmos family. And stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Super BS. Super BS. Super BS. Super BS. Super BS. Super BS. Welcome to Super BS Gamecast. This is your boy, Veet Veet Mesquite, like the chicken sandwich, um, or my mother knows me as Jake, coming to you not live, early, previously recorded, but um, we did a little uh, survey and found out I was the uh, most popular host on the show, so I've been trying to be a little bit more proactive and uh, doing some interviews uh, so that you don't have to listen to the other tool bags on the show. Um but a uh, special guest, there's a, there's a game you've heard me uh, talk about previously a couple times in the past, a little game called Poncho. Well, I've been luckily, lucky enough to get one of the developers to, uh, for some reason, agree to do an interview with me. Um, so I believe he's on right now. Can you say hi, Danny? Hi. <laughs> do, you go by, do you go by Danny or Dan, or what do you go by? Uh, Danny's cool. Danny's cool? Cool. I got another friend named Danny, so that'll 
There's a lot of us out there. Make no difference. <laughs> um, so um, why don't you head and, again go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, so I'm Danny. I'm a game designer at Delve Interactive, uh, and I try to make games that are a bit different, I guess. All right. Well, first off, thanks so much for being on the show. Again, I can't say it enough. I appreciate it. It it um it helps. I don't know. Give us hope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no worries. And it's it's really uh, on a, on a couple of levels. It's always fun talking to um, developers, different creative people. Um, I don't do video games, but I write. So, but I always find it interesting uh, talking to whether it be you know artists, fellow writers, video game developers is a fun one. Um, so appreciate it. Yeah, I feel like we're all kind of in it together in a way. Um, yeah, so that's cool. Sorry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, sorry. Um, quick question: How long you been in the industry? How long you been at this? Uh, I guess coming up for something like eight years now. Eight years. It's been a while, seven and a bit years. Yeah. <laughs> Did you always know you wanted to go into that, or uh, for... uh no? I was uh, my, originally I wanted to be a writer. Hey. Um, yeah, I, I was. I was. Um, I just. I mean, I, I wrote some quote-unquote novels or half novels when I was a teenager. They're obviously really crap, but um, oh, whoa. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I had fun doing it. That's what I wanted to do. And then I, when I was about 18, I realized um, that, you, that game, the games industry was actually a viable career. And it's not, <laughs> you know, and I, I was a you know a huge gamer so and still am. So I just dropped all my applications to universities for you know, creative writing or literature courses and then straight to doing game design and coding and stuff. So, uh, yeah. No, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I know a few writers and these are published authors and they actually put some stuff out and uh, even they have kept their day jobs. And these are people that have, you know, three book deals and they just, because unless you're like a New York Times bestseller, yeah, yeah. It, it's more of a, a side income than uh than a than a real viable option for providing for your family, which I uh Yeah, that was that was always what I thought. Um I was yeah. always I mean it was always like um I wanted a job where obviously I could, you know, pay rent or for a mortgage or whatever. But uh yeah, I mean be, working in uh as a novelist was bad before the Kindle arrived <laughs> and like now it's just yeah. <laughs> right no it's interesting and i know a little bit about it but that is not what we're gonna dive into today so um yes. <laughs> so delve interactive i believe you have a, a partner you work with quite a bit right uh yeah jack odell he's my sort of partner in crime he works in all the design with me and uh it's good for holding me back when i get too crazy with my designs and yeah he's also a really good composer and sound designer so um, yeah yeah we We'll talk a little bit later, but uh, Poncho's soundtrack and it was one of my th things I enjoyed most about it, actually. And I've talked about it in the past, and we'll talk about it a little bit later when we get to the music part. But um, oh, cool! So, so it's just you two. Did you do you have um, you know people that you kind of bring on board, or do you know? Yeah, so we're like the main two guys, um, but uh, yeah, we have other artists and stuff. I mean, for Poncho, we had Matthew Weeks who did um, all of the art for it. I mean, we, we had done all the art ourselves before that. Uh, Jack's stuff was uh, pretty okay, but we wanted to get like a real uh, professional to try and bring out what we wanted in our heads. So we brought Matthew Weeks on to do some art for that. And he's also done some art for our next game, Change, as well. Um, but Change has actually got like four different artists working on it at different times. <laughs> cool, cool. So without trying to make this 
a two hour podcast. I want to talk a little bit about Poncho and then, um, cause it's an older game now, uh, three, four years. Like that sounds about right. Uh, it's yes, it's, it, it was a second year anniversary in November. Okay. So three. Okay. And then you have a new game coming out and, um, so one of the things we want to try and do is instead of just talking about the old one or the new one, um, at least I want to try and talk about what you think you learned about the development from Poncho and how that's influenced uh, going into your second game. And I think, you know, listeners that, um, cause I think we get a decent amount of listeners that want to at least one day make a video game. So um, I've always found this kind of stuff interesting. So if you don't mind it, we kind of do that. I think uh, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, sure. So uh, we'll go Poncho real quick. Um kind of some blanket questions, you know, tell us what was about it, what inspired it, you know, just kind of like your story a little bit as you went into Poncho. Um, so yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah. So uh, me and Jack had made um, a couple of small mobile games before. Um, you can't buy them now because they, you know, they were just the first games when we were like 20 or something. And uh, they were kind of, one was called Epic Beard. Uh, where a beard is chasing like a little jelly thing, you have to run away. And another one was like a launch game about a bubble floating around. And, but I did all the art myself, so that, that's probably what needs to be said about that. <laughs> um, uh, so we did those, and yeah, they got some decent dice. But then we decided we wanted to make a proper full indie game, sort of on the scale of Braid or Super Meat Boy or something. And uh, we were trying to decide what to do, and. Uh, Jack came up with this character design of this robot with a poncho. Um, he had a backpack at that time, but oh. um, he sent that to me, just a little bit of pixel art he did. Um, and I got really excited. I loved that character. And uh, then we worked together on the sort of the details of uh, trying to have a unique mechanic um, to, you know, make it worth playing. Cause we, we never want to do anything that anyone else has done. So um we we came up on this idea of it being sort of inspired by Sega games, like side-scrollers, but thinking if there were mountains in the background and stuff, you could never actually go there. I mean, that would kind of make it 3D, but, you know, it'd be cool if you could just press the button and go into, like, a background area layer or something, and that's where that kind of came from. And then we had all these different mechanics around that, and that's how it came to be in, like, 2012 or something like that. <laughs> No, I and for the listeners that may or may not have checked it out, Poncho and I've talked about it in the past. Um, the mechanics was awesome because, and I, I kind of compared it to um, traditional um, animation where it would kind of be layered, and you know, cameras get to zoom in, and when you look at like the old school Disney animations, that's how they got the effect of you know um, the different layers. So I, you know, I would explain that you know you left right, and it, it lets you actually jump back and forth within the layers of the level, and um, I thought that was rad. I, I I remember watching the trailer for it and thinking, oh, I've, you know, never seen that before. It's kind of like when I, when Fez came out and you press left, right, and it rotated the whole screen. I, I hadn't really seen that before. And you'd see every once in a while, like with, um, what is it? Paper, not Paper Mario. Um, the Mario that's on the Wii where you kind of change dimensions. You see kind of games like these and I've always really enjoyed them and I, I kind of wish there was more and I'm hoping, you know, one day we kind of get, it's i don't know if it'll happen like a poncho poncho too where you get to dive into it a little bit more but um that was super cool i i think you guys did a great job with that and, oh thanks you know. that's good yeah. um <laughs> was was it was it kind of hard to make that mechanic because i hadn't really seen it used before so was it kind of you guys figuring it out yourselves uh yeah so 
probably like the first year of development. I mean, for the first two and a half years or so, we we both had full time jobs and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, and Jack was studying at university for some of it. Um, but yeah, we were just trying to get that mechanic working with prototyping and building some test levels. Originally, like the levels were all built out of 3D blocks and stuff, kind of voxel style, but with 2D characters walking around. Um, and eventually we switched to just full 2D artwork, but layered in a 3D kind of sense. Um, but yeah, it took a long time to get it to a place where it felt good because uh, there's another game that's sort of similar. It came out while we were developing, which is not it's called Mutant Muds. It's on the 3DS. Have you heard of that? I have not, no. Well, it's kind of like um, people were saying, you know, when Poncho came out, people were saying it's just like Mutant Muds. Um, <laughs> but in the same way, they said it's just like Fez, where, you know, it's pixel art and it's got a, a spatial mechanic of some kind. And, but Mutant Muds, it's, you're just, it's sort of like Cave Story. You're running around with a gun and there's platforming and shooting things. And, but you can step on specific blocks that would send you into a background or foreground in a kind oh. of way. But yeah, that's in Poncho, cool. you can do it anywhere. So it, it was difficult getting it to a place where, you know, so if you shifted, you wouldn't get stuck inside of a wall or, mm-hmm. um, and trying to make it design levels because you're sort of designing three levels at the same time with the three layers. Uh, later in the end, there's like six layers. So mm-hmm. it, it was difficult to get it to a point where it felt good, but I think we got there in the end. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember some of the you know the naysayers whatever they would complain about the the functionality of of switching and then when i actually put it myself i didn't you know i didn't find it particularly hard you know occasionally you'd have to figure it out but in poncho when you die you come right back so i was like oh it wasn't nearly as bad as at all and i enjoyed it actually i enjoyed the mechanics some but you know you're never gonna whenever you do an artistic endeavor whenever you try something new um you're always gonna actually statistically you're gonna have more people that dislike it than like it you know what i mean so yeah yeah i think i think poncho is kind of like marmite in the gamer community like people either seem to really love it or uh really hate it yeah I mean, it's not it's not out with like a 90 percent rating on steam um i mean the, the console versions are still are a bit bugged because it costs money to patch those but right. um among other reasons um things with publishers and stuff but um yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, I'm still proud of it, and uh, it's nice getting messages and emails from people that say they played it, or their children played it and had a really good time. And um, probably the best experiences was taking it to trade shows like UGX, which is sort of like PAX over here. Um, and just uh, I remember this one little girl; she was like ten or something. She just kept dragging her mum back to our booth so she could play the game more. And uh, you know, it was, it was fun watching people play at the same time, just grown adults just throwing the controller down in frustration because it's a bit it is a bit rage quitty for some people yeah i i agree and but um i totally agree because in in my mind it kind of joins the you know when my kids get a little older i'm going to play the old school marios i'm going to play the old school donkey kongs i'm going to play you know before they before they don't appreciate older graphics and then i'm going to play mm-hmm. uh fez and ponchos on that list now too i'm i'm going to play all oh, of those things. <laughs> no uh, yeah i thought this game um and we'll get to you know the the publishing and you know the financial and all that stuff a little bit later but because it didn't do as well as you know i believe you'd hoped obviously yeah. and um but again um we're not quite there yet but i uh talking about you know reaching a small audience but you know whenever you do something 
new or, or something and you and you get some people that that kind of see what you're trying to make it's it's unfortunate when it doesn't reach as many people as you hope um but you know you don't know until you you get out there and try it and then you know maybe the, the next time you go out and try something you know you can reach it a, a bit bigger but um again i i'm kind of getting off track here so let's see development art um the soundtrack can you talk a little bit about that because uh, i thought it was uh I thought it fit some, some soundtracks, they just fit the game and they, they kind of, they kind of help pull out, uh, the essence of the game. I, you know, I, I give, you know, Donkey Kong, the, the thorn levels where you're frying around or the underwater music as an example and Halo just, it, it just kind of fits. So was, uh, was like the feel for the soundtrack there from the beginning? Was it something that you guys kind of experimented with? I think, um, it's, it's difficult cause Jack's uh, not with us, but, um, I mean, I met Jack in uh, secondary school or high school, um, and uh, you know, we, we met and uh, realized we both liked the same games and had the same influences. And he was dead set on being a video game composer at that at the time. And uh, you know, it, it's difficult to find someone who does music who just really wants to be a video game composer that's, right. that that has some talent, and he um, has it, and he because he's also part of the game design process, he's already in the same, same kind of headspace with me. And, you know, I'd come up with these level designs and uh, various scenes in the game and sort of say maybe something like this piece of game music and send him a link to something. And then he'd be like, oh, okay, well, uh, maybe I'll try something like this and we'll go through like several iterations and have something really cool at the end. Um, and same with like the trailer music and stuff like that. He's, He's really good at what he does. <laughs> yeah, no, I enjoyed it. And for all your listeners, um, you know, go out and buy it. If, you know, you can go to YouTube and listen to some of it just to kind of feel it out. But I recommend... Um, it's on I was, Spotify as well. <laughs> yeah. When I, when I was younger, I would just listen to stuff. But now I, I got a little older. And um, if I like something, I buy it. Uh, just because I like to support um, the artists. So it's... Oh, that's cool. Yeah, no, I mean... It, I think that sounds about right. High schoolers don't know what they're doing. They just, whatever they can get for free. But when you get older, if you guys can buy it, I, I recommend buying it. It's it's a fun soundtrack. I've been listening to it for while I drive. Um, Let's see. Uh, All right. Well, I know it wasn't quite the fun funnest part of the job, but can we talk a little bit about, you know, working with the developers and putting it out there and then, you know, how that went for you on Poncho and then, um, and I just kind of want to talk about that a little bit so that when you talk about your new game, which we'll get to, uh, we, you can talk about things you're going to do differently and, and things like that. So, cause I know you it had some problems and difficulties, right? Yeah. So, um, I mean, we wrote, uh, we did a big postmortem on this that Kotaku also wrote about, but, yeah. um, I've, yeah, read so... it. I've read it as well, but I, you know, but I, you know, for our listeners that haven't, if you want to kind of refer, uh, go over it a bit and talk about that, I'd appreciate it. Well, we, we made a lot of classic mistakes, which was going all in on um, an indie game. Um, I mean, we, we, we were pretty confident because we, you know, we, we'd got, we'd been given the green light bit by Nintendo and Sony to put the games on their platforms. Um, Microsoft said no because we gave it to Sony first, <laughs> um, which is fair enough. You know, if you're releasing on different platforms, you want to get it all out there at the same time usually, but um, unless it's a hit, in which case they're happy to have it any time. Right. But, um, yeah, so, so we ran a Kickstarter after about two and a half years of development, and we only got to, like, 33% of our funding. 
Um, we've taken the game to various trade shows and uh, things like PAX and stuff um, that's just in the UK. Um, and the response was really good. Everyone seemed to really like it. And we got a load of YouTubers putting up videos of it, and we thought uh, we'd do pretty well. Um, unfortunately, we were pretty much... Um, ignored by press i mean um i know they've you know they've got a post about games that are going to give them the hits and stuff so uh Pocho was pretty unknown so um i mean when it was just the three of us me jack and matt it was difficult to put time aside for proper marketing and stuff but we thought we'd put a lot of time into it and got a decent amount out there um but yeah so it failed the kickstarter um and we had uh but because we took it to egx um which has like close to a hundred thousand people coming. It is about almost as big as PAX. Um, we got uh, a load of publishers got in contact with us after seeing the booth and playing the game. And uh, we got a bunch of different offers from publishers and we went with um, rising star games who were a bit more local. They were the only one that were actually in the same country as us. So we could actually talk to them face to face on a regular basis. And, uh, uh, they offered us um, basically what our Kickstarter was going for, uh, which was, um, I think, something like 25k. Um, and it all seemed good at the time. <laughs> they, they, were, they were very, very friendly to us getting us signed and stuff. And um, I mean, their marketing teams and that, they're, they're great people and stuff. It's just more the, the guys at the top that are a bit... Uh, not good. <laughs> um, and it's difficult. Um, I don't I can't remember if I, I don't know if I've said this in public before, but <clears throat> there were other offers we got. Um I don't want to name drop um the publishers, but there were some pretty big um triple A kind of style names out there publisher wise, and one of them offered us a hundred K to make the game, which would have been great, but they wanted it and we had a meeting with them, just a Skype meeting, and they wanted to change the name of the game and change this and that. So we were just like, well, if you're talking that way straight away, we're not going to, we don't feel good. We're we're happy being poor if it means we can do what (laughs) we want with the game. Um, But unfortunately, that wasn't a good choice. We were so, I think we were just too arrogant back then, thinking, you know, we're artists, we're not going to prostitute our work. Um, (laughs) No. So, yeah. yeah. I remember... Um, Real, I remember seeing the South Park guys talking about, in an interview saying that I think they were joking, but they were like, our plan was always to sell out. And it was just how quickly can we get to sell out to make a lot of money? And that was our goal. And I, I, I got a kick out of that. Anyway. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty good so, so you went with, um, uh, that's, I didn't know that yet. But yeah, I, I, I'd be turned away too if someone came in and, um, said hey here's a bunch of money but we're gonna change it you know before we even get to see it so yeah. i can well, see that but looking back i totally would have <laughs> just not just based on um how things went down with the publisher we chose but um uh ju- just based on how you know having been through development i would have taken that money the game would have been so much better um as it as it was i mean uh i mean this has already been talked about in the post-mortem we posted but um the money we actually got was ended up being 25k, but we actually received 21k. The remaining 4k was meant to be once it had been ported and released on all platforms. So um, essentially, that money wouldn't be able to be spent on the game, which was annoying. But because we hadn't budgeted for that, and that kind of just put a ripple throughout the rest of development that kind of ruined it. And then Rising Star just stopped listening to us. I mean, they were 
they seem to be doing okay with getting the game out there. They took the game to Gamescom and PAX and EGX. Um, and uh, another one here in the UK called Insomnia and stuff. I oh, know we did that one. There was, a, there was a few ones that we did ourselves. But um, I don't know. It, it felt like um, they were doing things in a very autonomous way where it was a bit like, yeah, this is how you publish a game. You just, you know, write this copy paste press list and email and do all this and uh yeah like none of the big press uh did a review of our game apart from destructoid who we got in touch with ourselves ourselves because uh i had a good email rapport with jonathan holmes at the time um who was one of their senior editors or editor-in-chief for a time i think um and yeah so it ended up with the game kind of not selling as much as we had hoped uh it came out november 5th 2015 and sold something like 300 copies in total or less no it was more like 250 copies um and we were hoping for about 10,000 <laughs> right so um yeah uh as it stands we still haven't made any money from the game although we, i think we're about to um oh wow yeah because it's basically set up so that you know because rising star put 21k into the game the game has to make that much after taxes and after they take their cut and after some bit, the platform holders take their cuts, etc. Um, so it's been, it's been, it's been some good months, especially when we've been in a humble bundle or something. But uh, I mean, the game's sitting at around 35, 40 K copies in total, but most of those are you know, like 99 cents copies kind of thing. Right. Um, as Sorry, goes, no, 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 no. It's, it's just, uh, as time goes on, has have you has it sold better? I like this is totally new to me. Has has word gotten out? Has it have you been reached by just people like myself? You know, I found it after it had already been out, and I was like, this game looks really cool. And I read some reviews, and I, I picked it up, and I really enjoyed it. You know, so I'm just curious. About uh, that. Not really. I mean, it is, it's, <laughs> all right. It's, it's um. I, th- I think that kind of thing usually happens with roguelike games or games that are very easy to make stre- streams of. Um, so you do a stream of a game like so. Binding Vice is a classic example where, yeah, um, you know, Edmund McMillan originally he was just going to uh, sell it to a Flash website or something, um, but he put it on Steam and it sold like not that like some a few thousand copies in the first week or something. And then it just kept going up and up and up and up. And he saw it was because all these people were doing YouTube videos of the game. Uh, but Poncho's not really like that a bit. I mean, it's kind of got a bit of that quality of the rage quit element, but because um, <laughs> it's very, it's can be very difficult and frustrating. Uh, sorry, it's my dog Oscar. He's being annoying. Oscar, go sit. <laughs> um, but no, it's just um, most games just, you know, you get a big sale at release and then it sort of staircases down over time. Right, and then you get the odd, the odd spike when there's a Steam sale or something. And that's the same with um, it's it's that's the same in all you know in books. It's the same with movies. It's the same with music. Um, and then you get like you said, you get those uh, the sleeper hits where you you don't really know why, but they suddenly hit it and just grow like crazy. So um, yeah, well, maybe still, who knows? Yeah, <laughs> right after this podcast. <laughs> yeah, this 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 will be my big break. <laughs> this, is, this is the one all of our our china listeners and our, yeah. our one ukraine listener anyway um okay so then um if you don't mind jumping into your new game a little bit uh yeah so yeah tell uh, us about it 
Yeah, ba- basically because of what happened with Poncho. I mean, we had quit our day jobs. Uh, I had taken out loans. Uh, by the time the game came out, I was jobless and about 12K in debt, um, not including my student loans. Yep, um, perfect. Really want to position yourself for that next game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it was basically um, I was couch surfing for a little bit, um, and it was – you know, it's, it's a bit weird realizing, you know, if it wasn't for friends and family, I, I would be homeless at this point. Um, so I, I'd made a prototype before of of a homeless game for um, a Game Jam. And I just made it. It was like the 24-hour Game Jam. Um, I'll have to get what it's called. Tig Jam, I think, or something like that. Um, and, yeah, it got, like, I saw some, like, so there are some YouTubers who do streams of uh, this particular game jam and stuff, and people were playing it for like 45 minutes and stuff. And, uh, you know, it, it was just, it's, it's kind of a homeless survival experience where you beg from people, you busk, you have to find work, you have to find a place to sleep, you have to kind of survive. And it's, it's more of an emotional experience, and it's been difficult to try and make it a game you want to keep playing, but I think it's got some of that, at least now. Um, we're actually hoping to release really soon. So, um, but yeah, so I, I made that prototype uh, something like halfway through Poncho's development, so I to come back to it because um, I was pretty seriously depressed after uh, Poncho came out, and uh, yeah, yeah for th- things were really bad for a time. <laughs> I I can imagine and understand. Um, all right, so let's uh, a few things. One, let's talk about um, you know production from poncho versus going into this you know what what did you learn what did you you know do differently let's start there i think um things have changed because when we started doing poncho steam was very viable right um you know there was uh, several hundred games coming out on steam per year and now there's several hundred games coming out per month right. at least um especially now with steam direct um it's basically become like the app store but no, it, it's not as bad because their discovery system is um, pretty okay. That's where we got like 90% of Poncho sales was that little, hey, you might like this game right. uh, thing that shows on Steam all the time. Um, uh, it, you know, when, when Poncho was first put on the front page, it was there in like the new releases bit. Uh, Steam only puts games that are doing well in that section. Um, and so every game, when it comes out, goes to that section. And Poncho was taken out of that category after about three hours. Um, and we we uploaded it and put it up at something like 6 a.m. in the UK time. So Americans weren't awake yet. Most uh, British people weren't awake yet. So by the time we got to 9 a.m., it was off the front of the Steam store. So we it kind of killed the game immediately. Yeah. That kind of sucked. So I, I guess the main thing with different production with between Poncho and changes um that we're not going so much all in um we're taking our time with it rather than uh we've certainly learned a lot of lessons and are a bit wiser we're not you know taking out loans to put more stuff into the game we're we went into this project thinking it's going to be more of a a new experience for players an experimental kind of thing that we're not going to spend thousands and thousands of i mean we spent some thousands but not in the five digits category right all right, so I might be jumping around a little bit, but um, I want to talk about a few different aspects. Um, you talked about how you know it might be kind of a hard topic to have fun playing for a long period of time. You know, how did you? What did you do to kind of 
overcome that or, you know, try and get kind of, good gameplay sorry. out of it. Yeah, go ahead. Um, yeah, so it's uh, fundamentally in terms of genre, it's a roguelike survival um, but with some kind of narrative elements. So there's like, it's, there's a lot of random things. So each at the end of each day, there's a night event uh, where something can happen. Like you might get this, like a little bit of um, writing, um, bit of prose where, you know, you could get mugged, you could uh, encounter someone who needs help. Someone might be being antagonistic towards you. It's like all these different kind of sort of almost story-based elements. That's all random. So it's like, you know, and you're interacting with, various things and everything's got a random element so it's it's got a bit of skinner box kind of theory in there where you know you click something and maybe something will happen and i think uh from play testing we've had with other people like that seems to be the thing that keeps them going um and you know at the same time they get really sad and depressed and <laughs> feel alone when they get to the sad stuff um i think that's I don't know, from playtesting, it's annoying, but I think people actually enjoy it more than they enjoy Poncho, but we'll see. Oh, interesting. Um, okay, then um, what about music for this going in? No. What, uh, I don't it's, know. it's definitely a bit different. Okay. Um, we're going with much more... I mean, P- Poncho is kind of inspired by the retro era, so the music is very inspired by that in the same way that Fez's music is, in a way. Uh, and Jack's a big Disaster Peace fan who yep. did the music for Fez. Yep. Um, and this, we wanted to go more emotional. So we got piano, we got cello, um, um, various other elements. I mean, it's still a bit, it's still a bit synthy because it's still pixel art, um, but it's it's meant to have a much more serious tone um, and a bit less gamey to try and you know get the feels out there. <laughs> no, yeah, no, that's good. I mean, I'll experience that soon enough. Um, once it comes out, I'll. Uh, I, I know Brian's playing uh, playing it now, and I think he's going to get some feedback to you, but I'm going to do a review once it comes out. So, oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and I'm excited too. So, I, I, you know, I, The funny thing with your games is both of your games, I didn't see the Kickstarter until after they were both done. <laughs> and I was like... Yeah, oh, okay. Kickstarter's kind of dead now. It's, it's, I think it's had its heyday. Um, yeah, like 90% of the projects that go out there shouldn't be Kickstarted. Right. Uh, if not 99%, then... Uh, I, th- I think people have given up on Kickstarter now. You know, they they put their money into it and not got anything back for various things. Or and there's been controversy with uh, was it Yogg's Cast that Yogg's Cast game, and they just took the money and left it. <laughs> yeah, and we've talked about Kickstarter on the show. It's it's a it's a risk, and it's just you know, can you do you believe in the team that that is putting the project up? And now with Kickstarter, so many people are so many people are putting stuff up there. It's just kind of. Um, yeah, it's a weird kind of catch-22 because it's like people won't put money in if they don't think it's going to succeed, even if they want to put money into it. Yeah. I mean, we saw that because um, that's why you have to get, like, you know, about, like, a third of your funding in the first couple of days. You yeah. have a big media blowout and uh, get a, a big load of money in those first couple of days so that by the end, people are still paying money. It's like, oh, yeah, it'll go through. But in our case, you know, it was at about 30% in the final days and... People just looking at well, that's not going to go for. I'm not going to waste my time with that. Right. So now with your new game coming out, what's what's the what's the plan to to kind of get a, a good jump on release? What you know? What what are you guys thinking about doing? Uh, so because it's uh, like I said earlier, with roguelikes being good for streamers, we're reaching out uh, to as many streamers as we can can find. We're looking to put out something like a thousand keys. 
out there for people to download and put streams out of the game. And we've got a much more streamlined marketing process of putting out press lists uh, a bit further in advance. And I think also the main thing is not releasing on November 5th, which is <laughs> the worst time to release an indie game. It's, it's literally out of, out of all 52 weeks, it's the worst week. Because <laughs> we, I think we released it in a new Assassin's Creed and a new Call of Duty, <laughs> and Fallout 4 all came out in that week. Um, so there was no way that press were going to talk about this little indie game. <laughs> even even the indie sites were, you know, busy um, just at least doing uh, talks about all these other big games. Um, but yeah, so we're we're actually looking to release um, in May right now. Um, we're going to do a proper release date announcement um, in the next month or so. Um, you know, once we've finished it, <laughs> the, the game's like ninety nine percent there. We've just got to finish the ending and add a couple more features and it's done. Um, and then it's on to the next thing. So we'll see how that goes. Oh yeah. I'm excited to, I'm excited to play it. Um, so, and you know, we, you dabbled in it a little bit, just like the industry. I'm kind of curious on your thoughts on the industry as a whole and as an indie and as in actually uh, being able to make money. Cause now that, you know, hundreds are coming, hundreds of games coming out on steam every month. Is it still, does it still seem as appealing for, you know, developers like you, or is it, is it just kind of like, not to be a little dark, but do you feel pretty optimistic about your chances uh, with the new game? And I think it will, it will help me put some money towards a mortgage. That's, or you know, or at least uh, pay for some of the art of the next game. I mean, I'll never stop making games because uh, that's my passion. But right, um, I'm not looking for it to. Uh, I mean, I, I work in the games industry for my day job anyway, so I'm not totally bereft. But um, I, I think now um, it's, it seems very... I mean, people have talked about the indie game crash so many times. Um, there will always be those few indie game hits of the year that make loads of money, like uh, Stardew Valley or whatever. Right. But um, with so many games coming out, there's no way that the press can keep up with... Um, you know, gems are going to get lost in the haystack... Um, I think there's, you know, there's a 99% chance your game won't make money for you to go full time. Um, so this time we're not quitting our day jobs. Right. Um, we're keeping our day jobs um, because last time we quit them and then had nothing. So <laughs> that's that's kind of my take too. Just from a, an outsider, um, I feel like, but I feel like it happened so quickly with video games. Um, mm. How quickly Steam went from being a super good viable option for indies just to you know just to how i mean it just got overpopulated really just, yeah I, I mean before you could upload a, you know your game would have to go through their review process there was, it, there was no community or public uh, green light or uh, curator reviews or anything like that you just you know um, apply to get it on steam and you know you'd get your game on the front page um almost guaranteed and it would stay there for a, a good number of days but now it's like i said you know a few hours on the front page and then it's like well people aren't buying this now at 6 a.m so we're going to take it off the front page it's it's very difficult i mean they've got their discovery system but it's it's going to be i think the only way for an indie game to be a hit these days is for streamers to for it, for it to be a fad for streamers to you know do streams of it on twitch and youtube that's I think that's pretty much the only way. Um, I, I mean, that's basically how word of mouth is spread in the indie game community now. I think. Right. No. Yeah. It's no. I think it's a 
<laughs> my expert opinion i think that's a good it sounds like a good plan and um i'm excited for it change so um oh geez um how do i say this um <laughs> i want to talk about change a little bit more just because it, you know it's about you know surviving in the homeless com- yeah. community um so taking away from that you know has it been interesting for you making the game and then now as you look at the homeless community if we can actually try and learn something from games <laughs> you know what i mean yeah that, that was always my intention um was to give the play to have the players think about something to give them a feeling and you know it's a much darker game because i was going through a really dark period um and really really only came out of that like several months ago um and yeah i want i wanted i, I did a ton of research and uh tried to find a way to not push stereotypes at the same time as it being real at the same time as abstracting it enough to work in the sense of a game because i mean people talk about story and games how you if you're just gonna if your main focus is the story you might as well do a book or a movie but um there there are two emotions that games can do better than those two mediums which is uh guilt and pride so definitely playing with the guilt a little bit um you know, you, you go up to people and you click on them to beg from them. And, right. you know, you kind of feel bad playing it at first. Like, oh, this doesn't feel right that I'm, you know, this feels like I'm taking, you know, using homelessness in a way. But then, you know, you beg for that person, they ignore you and there's no response at all. And they just keep walking, you keep doing it. And eventually you might get a response from most people ignoring it. It's trying to make, give the players that kind of feeling of empathy, I think. Um, I mean, it because we were pretty on the edge financially um a couple of years ago it was something I, I just really felt i needed to do at the time so i think that's where it mainly came from interesting yeah no i i uh, you know when i read that that's what the game was uh, i you guys definitely have uh, you said you wanted to make games that aren't the norm and i think you guys are doing that and and i guess i fit that which i think i do because i tend to try and find games that um i enjoy playing the the big ones sometimes um but i try and find games that are a little bit more of an experience um or yeah, t- I, th- I think that's part of what's killed the indie community as well because the indie community its original rise came because triple a games was just i mean they still are in, uh, most of the time but AAA games is just franchise one, franchise two, franchise three, sequel, sequel, sequel. Right. It's constant, the same stuff over and over again. And people leapt onto the indie stuff because, hey, here's some games that are doing something different. In Braid, you can turn back time. Or, uh, you know, in Fez, you can turn the world around. And all these different things that AAA games weren't, were, were just playing safe and just doing things that they knew would make money. Yeah. But now, indie games are copying other indie games most of the time. <laughs> um, I mean, and, it, you know, look, looking at Poncho, people were just, oh, it's the same as Fez. Why would I, just, why would I not just play Fez? Uh, we got that a lot. Pretty much any post anywhere about Poncho, someone saying it's like Fez. Um, Which is funny because it's not. <laughs> I'm a big Fez fan. And, you know, yeah, I was reading comments of, oh, it's Fez 2 or this and uh, and i but i looked at the game and i I took a little bit of a a deeper look and i was like i mean kind of but not really in my opinion (laughs) so yeah i mean it's it's pixel art and right i mean i actually i mean a couple of times i think it's also got to remember the gaming community isn't 
fully made up of people who know games and stuff. I mean, I saw some comments that were just like, it looks just like Terraria. And um, <laughs> it's like, well, there's differences between different pixel games. But some people will look at a pixel art game and think it's the same right. kind of deal, I think. Um, yeah, and then you realize, you know, half the people leaving comments are like 10-year-old trolls. And it's like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but... And then you get, you know, older people like us where I'm like, okay. And I've talked about this on the show. I got one kid, another kid coming. I don't get to play 30 games a year anymore. I, you know, I get a couple and it's, I, I've become very selective on, on, you know. Yeah. I'm the same AAA games. It's like, I, I start, it's like they, they post, oh, it's got 5 million hours of gameplay. It's like, well, I, I don't want that. I just want a good experience that I can do in like a day. <laughs> no, and, and we've talked about the show. It can be a very short game. It could be a game that's three or four hours, but, you know, you, you set down your controller and, you know, you're like, oh, that was that was fun. That was an experience. That was, it doesn't, I got tired, so tired of the same game getting put out with, in fact, sometimes they'd put out the same AAA game with like worse mechanics, and I'm like, "Wait, you guys are taking a step backwards here." So, yeah, yeah. But um, that's why I've turned really to the indie. You know, seventy five percent of what I play is more indie these days, and then yeah, then you then I choose the gems of the AAA's. You know, I'm excited to play Dark Souls on Switch again. So yeah, I just started playing Bloodborne again for the first time. I died. I in five minutes, of course. <laughs> right. Then put it down for a little while. But um, yeah, but yeah, I, I think I think like ninety percent of indies now compared to twenty twelve. I think twenty twelve was the last good year for indies, um, in the broad sense. I think, and I think it's largely due to indie game the movie. Like people saw that and go, oh, those you know Edmund Miller and Tommy Refners and all those guys, they're all millionaires now. Right. So <laughs> I, I should. <laughs> I, I watched that movie. Yeah, and that's why like eighty percent of or ninety percent of indie games coming out now are copying other indie games to an extent, or that you know there's so many clones or asset flips and things like that. Yeah, they're just in it to make quick money, and they think it's going to be easy. Um, and they have a big surprise waiting for them usually. Yep, it's not going to get any easier. And it's it's funny how it's the, every each medium went through this. You know when with the whole self publishing and with indie movies, and it's just like everyone kind of jumps on the wagon and. A lot of people, a lot of people I know that are writers, they all kind of fall off. And then you either, you know, I, I kind of did the same thing you did where it's like, okay, the next book I'm going to do is I'm going to take two, two and a half years to, to, to get it right instead of writing it in like six, seven months and having no one, <laughs> having no yeah, one yeah. Care, care about it. So I'll take two and a half years and maybe 10 people will care about it this time. <laughs> so, I think that's another thing that people really need to, you know, people were, I think people jump too quickly on... I mean, there are some people who just go, oh, I'm going to make a game like this, but with different graphics and a different story, um, or a Flappy Bird clone. And there's others who, <laughs> you know, they... I, I think I think if you... Once you've chosen what your game design is going to be, you've got to realize this is going to be two or three years of your life. That's going to be a big section. Yeah. And, you know, you've only got so many times before you die. So um, you've got it, you've got to be really picky and not just go with something that's like another game. You've got to do something that's really yours, even if it's going to take you another six months to come up with that really good idea. You know, right. just keep thinking about it. Really in your head. Don't, don't go with the, like, the first thing that comes to you that you think you could be make a good game. Um, yeah. Or, you know, do the first thing that comes to you, but but 
do it real quick just as a learning experience. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause yeah, if it's your first game, then sure. Yeah. You need like, I made that crappy bubble and epic beer game, um, you know, as my practice game. So right. <clears throat> I, I think, you know, if your first game, you know, something quick, put it on iTunes on the app store or whatever. Um, and do it for fun. Don't think you're going to be a millionaire sitting on a beach drinking cocktails. <laughs> oh yeah, I know. Right. Like I said, I'm just trying to make a decent side income at this point. <laughs> so, yeah. um, all right. Well, uh, change you think when, when do you think it's going to be out again? Uh, currently we're looking at early May, early but May. that might change, uh, depending on if I want to add more stuff. <laughs> Essentially with, with Poncho, we, <clears throat> we released it in November because we were like, we need to release it because we've got no money. And right. the publisher was like, yeah, we need to release it as soon as possible. Um, and it was about, we, we should have waited until like March or something really. Um, but yeah, with change, we're going to find the right timing to release it. Um, and we're going to release it when it's completely ready. Poncho had a lot of stuff cut out of it. Um, a lot of right. different mechanics and level designs were cut out and even some core characters were cut out. Yeah. Um, so we're really, you know, we, this is a subject, it's a very touchy subject we're dealing with here. So we want to make sure we do it right. So once it's done, it'll be out, <laughs> but it is going to be really soon. Good. Uh, sorry, my daughter is coming in here. So, oh, sorry, sweetie, go away. <laughs> <laughs> I love. Um, um, so, and then uh, what's it going to be released on? Uh, right now, we're looking at Steam and probably iPad. Um, okay. We haven't started porting to it yet, but I, I've worked um, in my day job. I work with um, mobile projects all the time. So, okay. Um, yeah, it's going to be on Steam and iPad at first, and then if it does well on there, we'll look at getting it into some other languages like Spanish, Spanish and French, and maybe um, getting it to work with a game controller and what getting it ported to PS4 and stuff. But you know, it's it's very easy getting a puzzle platformer onto a console, but not so much a game about homelessness. Probably, we'll have to right. Wait and see. I was going to say, you're going to get that. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> Can you get it onto that sweet, sweet Switch? But, uh, <laughs> which, you know what, though? Nintendo's, you know, they're, they're <clears throat> Wolfenstein 2 on it, and, you know. Yeah, and I mean, even The Binding of Isaac, which is, you know, it's about a naked child in hell right, crying exactly. tears into shit, so. <laughs> I, think, yeah, I think Nintendo grew up a little bit and says, uh, is, is a little bit more willing, which I'm glad, uh, you know, because I think Switch is. I'm I'm a big fan of it. It let me it let me play a little bit more video games than I than the previous like almost zero I was because at least now I can play on the go a little bit. Yeah, I mean I I got the Wii U and was disappointed. Um, right. I, I I'm I probably just want the I mainly just want the Switch just for Zelda because uh, I need you, to play that. Ha, no, you don't got the Switch yet? Haven't played Zelda? No, I haven't. I haven't it, played. Well, not the new Zelda. It is fantastic. It was. Yes, yeah, uh, so I've heard many good things. Um. Oh man, it, know, it was called like the best debut game for a console ever. Which yeah, is... it. Eh, I don't know about. Well, I don't know. It, it was. It, I know, it's going it, up against the original Super Mario World. Right, stuff, yeah, I guess. it was <laughs> mighty fun. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, uh, I uh, the new Mario on the Switch is fun, but I I liked the new Zelda more. Um, so anyway, yeah, I'm looking forward. To it. Yeah, you'll you'll have a blast. It was a ton of fun, and then um, I don't know anything else you're playing these days. 
Uh, we are gamers. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm currently <laughs> playing the. I'm currently playing through the reboot of Ratchet and Clank on PS4. Oh, um, that's cool. That's where I do most of my gaming, and I play a lot of indie stuff on Steam. Well, I haven't played anything too indie recently. I think the, the other day I was just playing Faster Than Light. I still play old indie games. Yeah. No, I I go back and play. I'm replaying Morrowind again, which is the best Elder Scrolls game ever. Yeah, I have been playing Skyrim VR quite a bit. That's oh, how has, still re- is how has it been? It's really buggy, of course. I mean, um, sometimes, like, you've got the two move controllers, and sometimes, like, you know, you'll be holding, and your axe is usually, like, exactly where you think it would be as you're holding it and swinging it, but then it'll start drifting, like, 30 feet away. <laughs> and you're still controlling it, it's not even holding it, but it's just, you sort of have to move and get, <laughs> and you can just, uh, I play with a bow and arrow because you can basically, if you get, once you've got the action down of, you know, knocking your bow and pulling it back and releasing, you can, basically use a bow and arrow like a machine gun that's quite fun (laughs) yeah interesting well um anything else you want to throw out there before we uh wrap it up uh yeah i mean i guess buy puncho if you feel (laughs) like it or or pirate it i don't really mind um i I wasn't i'm not looking to make money from it at this stage anyway so but if you play the game i hope you like it and uh, yeah, look forward to change a homeless survival experience coming out uh, in the next couple of months or so. Yeah, I'm excited for it. Um, let's see here. Anything else? Nope, that's it, guys. Uh, thank you so much, Danny, for uh, for joining me. I really appreciate it. Um, no worries. Uh, hopefully, you know, I'll have you again on again in the future, and um, I'll be reviewing Change once it comes out. And uh, thanks a bunch. Alrighty, nice All talking right. to you. Yep. To us, people that can feel things, it, it, uh, it hurts.